Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. We're so glad that you can join us. We're so glad that we can be with you. We're so glad that we can get into the Word of God. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. That's the most important thing right there. Amen. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer, and we'll get started today's broadcast. Father, in the name of Jesus... We gather around your word this day, thanking you, praising you for the word that became flesh. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, the word made flesh who is manifested among us, who died in our place, making it possible for us to become children of the living God, completely forgiven, of all sins, all iniquities. Lord, thank you. And as we study your word this day, open the scriptures to us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, give to us wisdom, understanding, and revelation that we may walk this earth worthy for you, Lord. Bringing people to the point of making a decision the decision that will affect their eternity. Lord, we give you praise for that kind of power this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Join me in our confession of faith. We do this every week to lay the solid foundation upon which we're going to teach. Amen. Jesus said, uh, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul said, upon this foundation let men build but what you're going to build is going to be built or be tested by fire. And if you're just building doctrines of men, it was referred to as wood, stay in, wood, hay, and stubble. And it would be burned with an unquenchable fire and swept away. But if you build on this solid foundation, gold and silver and, and, and precious, precious things, pure doctrine of the Holy Spirit, your teachings will withstand the fire and you'll receive a reward. And that's what we try to do. We try and weed out superfluous doctrines of men and just deliver to you the pure Word of God. Sometimes it's harsh. Sometimes it may step all over spiritual toes. 
Sometimes it may fly in the face of this PC environment in which we live, political correctness. But if it's the Word, it's the Word. Amen? And the Word works when you put it to use. Amen. Repeat these words after me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he's coming soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is week five of the blood covenant. And we're going to look a little bit today. and We're going to try and summarize everything that we studied. And as we conclude, I want you to understand why the blood covenant has lost its meaning for today and why it's important that you understand what it really means so you can tap into that power. Amen? You know, with the blood covenant, we studied this back, I believe, in the first session. That it takes two participants in the cutting of the covenant. And these two people are called covenant heads. Now the covenant remains in effect until both covenant heads die. Now you have to understand that. If two people join together in a covenant, that covenant is in force until both of them die. If just one of the covenant head dies, the other covenant head is to extend the benefits and the blessings of the covenant to the family of the deceased covenant head. In essence, a blood covenant not only joins the two covenant heads together in an agreement, but it also joins the families together as well. Amen? And these facts you need to keep firmly in your mind as we continue to explore the reality of our redemption and the new covenant in Christ's blood and refer back to what we studied in the past sessions. Now at the conclusion of the covenant ceremony, these two covenant heads call each other friends. Friends. That word friend is a covenant term. And in today's society, it has totally and completely lost its meaning in today's English language. I mean, we say, I think I'll have a friend or two over for dinner tonight. Or, I want you to meet this friend of mine. See, the original meaning of friend carried with it the union of a blood covenant. In the Wild West days, it was called blood brothers. Okay, that is still carried on uh, in military traditions and uh, police departments. Brothers, you're a brother. You've gone through something together and has united you 
in such a way that someone who has not experienced what you have gone through has no concept of why you call this other person your brother. And that term actually came from Alexander the Great. If someone distinguished themselves in battle, you know, we have like award ceremonies, you call up and you pin the medals on them and stuff. Alexander the Great would announce in front of the entire legion, the entire army, as he awarded this medal to someone, and he would explain, you know, what the medal was for, what act of bravery they did. And then he put his arm around the guy and hug him and say, This man is now my brother. I, I am proud to call him my brother. And that was such a unifying effect. That's why his men would lo loved him so much. It would go into these battles. Because he wasn't just reigning over them as a supreme leader or king. He would actually become one of them and allow them to become like him as a brother. And that is a form of the, the blood covenant meaning of this word friend. Alright? The same thing's true of the handshake. Back just about the time I was growing up is when it started fading away. But prior to about 1970, some deals, business deals, were just made on a handshake. And that handshake symbolized the Blood Covenant Act, where two people would cut and make a mark in their hand, shake hands, and mingle their blood together, and they would become blood brothers. That's what a handshake meant. That's taken on nothing more today than a simple gesture that communicates courtesy or a greeting. If we take seriously the true meaning behind a handshake, we'd be very careful in who you shook hands with. Amen? Now with those facts in mind, so you can better understand what Jesus communicated to his disciples. Turn to John chapter 15, verse 13. John chapter 15, verse 13. We'll read down to verse 15. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for who? His friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now when Jesus said that, the disciples got excited. They got excited about the words Jesus used here. In that part of the world, and in that day, in that time, in that culture, the blood covenant was a respected institution. It carried great weight. And when Jesus used the word friend to now define his relationship with these men, that had a tremendous impact on their lives. It turned their lives around. It empowered them, emboldened them. And after the resurrection, and after they were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, nobody, nobody could take that term away from them. They realized they had something special. 
Amen. And when that word friend, when Jesus used that, he didn't mean, oh, you, I'm some kind of, I'm some sort of Jesus's buddy or Jesus is my pal mentality. No, that's what you find in church today. The friend, the word friend is used in this verse meant a covenant blood brother. It implied the union of two people into a blood covenant. Religious teaching and the erosion of the true meaning of covenant terms like friend by our modern culture causes us to gloss over the importance of this section of scripture. The friendship Jesus was talking about in this verse was not just limited to the disciples. He continued to pray and said it was to all those who receive salvation through their testimony. So that includes us. Amen. We are friends of Jesus if you've received him as your Savior and made him your Lord. He no longer calls you a servant. You are now his friend. Amen. I heard a story about a great evangelist named Malcolm Smith. Now, he had traveled to Africa to do some evangelistic work, and apparently someone asked him to go speak to a tribe of Zulus, but he didn't have time to, to go out there. You know, it's not like today where you hop on a plane and 30 minutes later you're there. He didn't have time to travel down there before he had to leave. and So instead of speaking to the Zulus directly, he made a cassette tape. And the subject of the cassette of the teaching on the cassette tape of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and he taught within it the framework of the blood covenant, much as what we've been doing in these sessions. Now, being an African tribe, the Zulus were very familiar with the blood covenant. It was part of their culture. And when these tribes got a hold of the gospel and understood that it was a blood covenant between God and them, Revival broke out. And later, you know, a few years later, he returned to that nation. And much to his surprise, Malcolm learned that as a result of that one cassette tape, whole Zulu tribes in some areas had received the gospel and accepted Jesus Christ. Now, other missionaries had preached the gospel out there to the Zulus with very little success. What made the difference in this situation? conveying the gospel in the framework of the blood covenant. That's the reason he was successful when other missionaries before him had failed. Because it made all the difference to the Zulus who heard it. They understood the power of a blood covenant. The gospel of Christ cannot be fully understood apart from a blood covenant mentality. The whole message of the gospel is grounded in blood covenant terminology. Now, in that area of Africa, the Zulus have a very big advantage over the church in modern America because we've lost the meaning of the blood covenant. You see, in the modern church, especially here in the United States, two understandings of the blood covenant are taught. The understanding we've looked at so far comes from the Middle Eastern culture and is consistent with the teachings of the Bible. In most churches, however, Another mentality is taught. And I refer to it as the Western church or American church mentality. You see, in Western understanding, the aspects of two people becoming one or in union with the common holding of all assets and liabilities 
has been de-emphasized or actually removed altogether. Most modern seminaries teach that the blood covenant is nothing more than a contract or an agreement between two people. When you apply that definition to the story of the Bible, you get a totally different concept of God and what Jesus accomplished at the cross. The redefining of the blood covenant in America is done for a specific reason. Most of our seminaries, most of the Bible schools, most of the liberal churches and their theology, they deny or minimize God's miracle working power today. That's why I've said if you're going to a church and miracles are not taking place on a regular basis, that doesn't mean it has to be every service. But if you're going to a church where miracles are not taking place, you are going to a liberal church. You are going to a watered-down church. You are going to what Jesus calls a lukewarm church. And what does he say about being in a lukewarm church in the book of Revelation? He'll spew you out. He'll vomit you out of his mouth. He wishes you to be hot or cold, but to be lukewarm won't cut it. And that's the church attitude in America today. Can you believe that? Some churches even go as far as to call miracles, authentic miracles, works of Satan. Hello? Jesus even said, can Satan cast out Satan? No. Jesus said we are to do the same works he did. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. Amen. Matter of fact, he even said we're supposed to do even greater miracles than he did because he is now in heaven with the Father. Mark 16 says he will confirm the word we preach with signs, miracles. Amen. But those who are in liberal churches, the theology, the church theology is they don't want to offend anyone. That's that what do they call that crap? Uh, Purpose-driven church. We don't want to offend anyone. So they water down their theology. And it becomes self-centered preaching. Feel-good preaching. Preachers scratching the itchy ears of their congregants. Instead of impacting them with the word of God. Amen. Anyway, I'm getting off subject. But I guess you can tell I believe in preaching the word. Amen. If God put it in the Bible and if Jesus told us to do it, then I'm in all the way. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Anyway, in an effort to provide a more believable explanation of why uh, God does not act today the way he did in biblical times, some things are redefined to take the pressure off church leadership to explain why God has somehow changed. See, that flies right in the face of the scripture that says God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God doesn't change, who's doing the changing? The church is. The preachers are. You see, if the conditions are the same for us today as they were in the early church, and they are, then we have to take a closer look at what is being taught and eventually conclude that we are being taught wrong here in America. 
Experience shows us that admitting to error is not a character trait of most religious teachers today. The Pharisees of Jesus' day would not admit they were wrong either, even when confronted face-to-face with the evidence. And the same spiritual arrogance is in the American churches today. Little has changed except the names. Amen. Our faith is the unfortunate victim of the Western interpretation of what a covenant really is. Faith is one of the most crucial areas in the believer's life. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 The Bible states three times that the just shall live by faith. I remember when I was at Bible school and Pastor Shook was one of the teachers there. And every time he would begin his class, he would start off with a prayer, and then he'd conclude with, and the just shall live by faith. It's Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11. The just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith. It got so ingrained in us. We were at a uh, Kenneth Copeland convention. And, you know, there's 10,000 people there. And a group of us would go, and we'd sit more or less together. And Kenneth Copeland got up. He, he was open to the Bible and he'd say, you know, and, you know, the, what does the Bible say? The just shall live by faith. And all of us, almost in simultaneous unison with sound, and we, we all just said Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.30, and it actually shut down Kenneth Copeland. He, he just looked out in the audience until we finished, which was, you know, maybe 10 seconds. And he looked down at Jerry Savelle and said, Jerry, is that your bunch? <laughs> Glory to God. Anyway, no one can be saved without faith. That's the point I'm trying to make. No one can receive anything from God unless they ask in faith. That's James 1, 6, 7, and 8, I believe. Don't let anybody tell you that the subject of personal faith is not important. It is. It is the deciding factor of your eternity, heaven or hell, life or death. It's no small wonder that Satan has targeted this all-important subject for some of the most convincing deceptions that can be found in religious teachings. A correct understanding of covenant is crucial because our faith is directly tied to it. Our conception of God and our faith in, in what he will do for us is directly related to our understanding of the blood covenant and what it means to God. As we saw earlier, Abram's faith was based on a blood covenant that God initiated and that God bound himself to. In the book of Romans, Abram is called the father of all them that believe. If you do an in-depth study on the life of Abraham, you'll find that his strong faith was firmly and deeply rooted in this blood covenant that God initiated. All right? When Abram was, you know, how will I know this is going to be true? God initiated the blood covenant with him. Our faith as Christians should also be rooted in 
the covenant, the blood covenant of Jesus Christ. That's in Luke 22, 20. Amen. If we understand the basics of the covenant, it's incorrect when we try and possess a counterfeit faith. When we come to the Father and try to deal with Him on a covenant basis, if we're operating in a counterfeit covenant, it won't work. You see, this kind of faith looks good and, and is socially acceptable, but it's weak and ineffective when relating with our Father in Heaven. And since it's weak and ineffective, that's why you see so many people in churches, in the body of Christ, especially in Western churches, that are still broke and sick. No blessings evident in their life. They just go to church to have their itchy ears scratched and made to feel good. Oh, God loves you and he's going to bless you. That's all they hear. Grace, the gospel of grace. Yes, there is gospels of grace. Yes, grace is a powerful gospel to preach, but you have to keep it in context with the blood covenant. Amen. You just can't try and be holy on Sunday and live like the devil the rest of the week. Amen. Since God can tell a real Christian when compared to a counterfeit, you better hand him the real thing. For example, when I was a cop, sometimes we have to go and pick up counterfeit uh, money that had been taken in by the toll collectors or cashiers. And some of the money was so obviously counterfeit, you wondered why the person even accepted it to begin with. But always the excuse was they were so busy that they didn't notice. They just took it and didn't realize till they were counting out their drawer at the end when they discovered the problem. Sometimes they would remember about the time that this bill was accepted by them so we could go back and track down the vehicle and get a license plate number from the video cameras. And, but usually they had you know, so many customers that couldn't be done. Sometimes this counterfeit money that we took possession of was really, really good counterfeit. So good that unless you knew what to look for, you'd miss it. It's money like that that gets the Secret Service involved in an investigation because that's the kind of money that can easily be passed off to unsuspecting merchants and destroy the economy, amen? Well, in the same way, God can tell a real Christian from a counterfeit. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.